Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. guys we are here for part two still talking about beauty still doing that and uh in the last section of the last episode we focused a lot on this idea of sensory qualities yes and things that were maybe caused by sensory qualities specifically about people Hmm. um but we haven't talked about a the sensory quality beauty types applied to non-people, mm-hmm. like to objects and art, for example. And B, we didn't talk about the non-sensory qualities of beauty applied to people and other yeah, things. So we were saying a bit of at the end of the episode, this, this mind beautifulness, so to, yes. so to speak, right? Uh, what does it mean to be beautiful, not from a sensory perspective? Uh, but probably the best thing to do is to start talking about the, the beauty in art, for example, or in yeah. objects, or yeah. things like that. I think it's gonna, we're going to have an easier time. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> definitely an easier way. time. Um, and I think that a classic way to start with is how do we recognize that something is beautiful and mm. and, and what a piece of art is, first of all, beautiful versus what is not. We have a, and I'm reminded, of course, um, of our colleague uh, that hates postmodern art. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and saying that that's not art mm-hmm. and that's not because there's nothing beautiful. I think that the ultimate argument that it was making is there's nothing beautiful about this. Agreed. And therefore it's not art because art has to express beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, the point, well, first of all, I, I don't know if that's true, that, that art has to express beauty necessarily, but even more, I don't know. And I think he had a very specific idea of what beautiful mm-hmm. beauty is within art. Mm-hmm. It cannot be anything conceptual, for example. It doesn't. It seemed to imply that there needs to be something canonic, let's say, about uh, a piece of art. Like Duchamp's uh, mm-hmm. cannot be. It's not real art, right? Because it's not approaching the capital G good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which. So he's not here. So we're not going to debate him. Uh, but I want to say that's already debatable, the fact that yeah. Duchamp does not approach the good with the capital G stuff, right? Yeah, the two points there would be, A, maybe art doesn't have to be the good, mm. or B, um, there are things that still are the good, just a different conception of the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, but So going specifically, again, I'll, I'll give an example. I had a really hard time uh, with some some art, some paintings, for example. I, I had a really hard time with Pollock for a long time. Okay. I could not see in any way, shape, or form uh, that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was able to recognize it as artistic and art, but to me, there was no beauty coming out of it. So it wasn't good art to you? Yeah, well... If we are associating these two things, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think there can be good art that doesn't just express beauty. So I remember going to a museum 
it was this guide. I wasn't, uh, you know, when you're kind of listening, you, mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. you're not paying for somebody <laughs> uh, saying things about. There was this huge pollock thing, and she was like, "The beauty of whatever and mm-hmm. this and that." And I'm like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So now it's different. Now I I get it. But there were some things that were hard again mm-hmm. for me for me to to get. I'm, I'm assuming you had some similar experience with something else. Yes, I think everybody does. Um, but again, what was it? If you ask me, what was the thing that wasn't coming out, right? Why wasn't it beautiful to me? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not sure I can tell you. I'm wondering. So I have like a working hypothesis, and I'll put it out, and then tell you my experiences. The thing I'm thinking is that you didn't see the beauty there. I mean, assuming there is beauty there, you didn't yeah. see it there, because whatever it was presenting yourself as was so far out of your conceptual framework that you weren't able to like situate it within Very that po- structure. Very possible. Um, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. So in my experience, I'm thinking of two things. The one also with visual art. So when I was younger, um, I'd said that I didn't like impressionism. Okay. And Ultimately, I think it's just because I didn't understand Impressionism. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of one of the things I was thinking about in the last episode when I say you approach things from an impure standpoint, right? So when I was younger, you know, I liked all the experimental stuff. Like I liked Expressionism, Dada, um, even some abstract stuff I thought was cool. Cubism. Cubism, yes. And when I saw Impressionism... I guess maybe it wasn't presented to me in the right way and I wasn't in the right state of mind, but I was like, oh, this is lame. Like they're just painting things like in a kind of realistic way and it's very sterile and I would think of doctor's offices and things like this. And so I was like, you know, I don't like Monet or all these things. And then now that um, like we are thinking about, oh, what kind of art would we hang in our home like you know let's let's think about this and i've been like really looking at the different movements and, and looking at the different paintings i actually really like a lot of impressionism <laughs> because i realize it's not what i thought it was because it's, it's about creating a mood and using light it's the phenomenology of of painting yeah, yeah it, it it's it's like how does how does it appear to you right exactly. what how does it give itself and so it's the artist just playing with light in all these different ways and you look at a piece and it immediately puts you in a specific mood and you're like oh this this is capturing some emotion yeah and this is why you know it's like the precursor to expressionism absolutely because it's expressing something absolutely so that's an instance of where there was a shift because of um, like a lack of information, lack of education, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As you said earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, if that's so, but if that's the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. How important and how do you get this beauty, this education about the beautiful, let's say? Hmm. How do you get there? Because, you know, you have somebody like Plato that will tell you, well, this towards the form, mm-hmm. there's all, you get out of the cave, you mm-hmm. get closer. But because the good and beauty are the same. Yeah. It's easy to go that route, right? Knowledge kind of shows you the beauty eventually, right? Mm. The more you know, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, the 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 more you're gonna be able to appreciate the true, beautiful things with all the limitations within Plato's yes. uh, system. And right? I will say that is partially true, and but not entirely true. That's probably where I would go. Exactly, and and I agree with you. The issue though is what other things allow you to, let's say, open your mind. Mm-hmm. To those kind of, because I don't think Plato will like 
Pollock or Rodko. It does, right. It, it will be like, right. no, this is, we need to destroy those things because they're, they're uh, or maybe not. Maybe it would destroy the impression and stuff. I don't know. Well, so here's something I'm thinking. Um, the knowledge stuff, like I said, it was partially correct because if I don't have the right context, it's like, I don't know, it's like a, a cup is going to present itself to me as a chair. Like it just won't make any sense. Okay. But you need some. But I think too much knowledge is bad because I think there could be a point where you over-intellectualize. You take the authenticity of the experience. Huh? Yes, that's something that's you're intellectualizing something that's supposed to be approaching religious mm -hmm. and i think that the more you kind of reduce it to its technical parts you lose something like this this otherness right this alterity this transcendent quality that's supposed to be there mm -hmm. um, and so there is a sense in which i think an excess of knowledge actually ruins the value and beauty of things um agreed um i think there's there's more to that as well i think that so too much intellectual intellectualization is bad mm -hmm. um but i but i also think that too much context actually like mm. pure, i i think so it's interesting that i did this before as well right we link understanding quote unquote a piece of art mm -hmm. with its context right in order for mm. us to to see the beauty of that piece of art we said you need your context, otherwise you're not going to be able to access it. Mm -hmm. But isn't that saying something? Isn't that saying that beauty, whatever it is, it is not completely in the piece of art itself. It exists somewhere else because otherwise you wouldn't need any context. It needs to be hmm. located, literally located, mm -hmm. not just... In the material piece, mm -hmm. and cannot be located even in the in the relationship just between the piece and the subject. There, mm -hmm. this beauty thing needs to be somewhere else if we need this context. And even if we need this, the ideology that goes behind it, mm -hmm. right? Even if we need to understand, in order to get the beauty, we need this frame, this conceptual frame, which we're talking about. This is why I didn't understood Pollock. Doesn't it? Isn't it saying that beauty is not is not exhausted mm. in the object and not even in the object subject relation? And where is that? that? What's the alternative? Yeah, that's that's what I'm asking. Right? I, I, that's definitely one way of looking at it, and that could be the case. The other way someone might respond is to say, "It's there, but these adjustment circumstances all they show is that you are like cleaning your lens, so to speak." Like I'm thinking of, as an analogy, so you know this Bjork song, All is Full of Love, yep. right? And like, maybe not from the source as you thought, it's kind of everywhere. Maybe your phone is off the hook, right? Maybe okay. your antenna is just screwed up. Okay. And I think that's another way you can go about this to say it, it really is there in the thing or in the interaction. And you just have to like, kind of turn your radio dial a certain way. Mm. Maybe it's not that, but I just think someone might say that to you. And I'm... Well, we're talking, I'm thinking, is it possible instead, and we talked about this in our aesthetics episode, is it possible that there is, I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with that, but is it possible that there is some residual beauty that what I'm missing is the residual beauty that stayed somewhat within the other of things? 
the artist has some uh, of this residual beauty uh, in her hands, just to just to, to 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 use a metaphor, right? Yes. Or in the relationship that the other has with the piece of art that is still there, and you can access completely this beauty when you uncover hmm. that relationship that's still there. Which again, I'm not necessarily in agreement with that, but maybe that's. That's the uncovered. But, but this is why people like love artists. Like when, when you love a band, when you really love a band, well, I could speak for myself, but I think <laughs> a lot of people are like this. You you don't just have the music. You have the music and you appreciate the person making it. And you and you literally think like this person's hands are dripping beauty. Like there's something in them that's coming yeah. out. Yeah. Um so yeah, at least from one perspective that seems to be So the, in that case, beauty this super complex like everything else, object. sure. <laughs> yeah. Object, right? Super complex uh, object that it seems to transcend. What well, seems to transcend time? We said that already, hmm. uh, because it seems to go yes. in waves and things like that. But now it seems to transcend space as well. Hmm. And if it's transcending these two things, uh, it's. I'm thinking, is beauty something that goes beyond human beings? That's why I said it had a religious quality. Yeah. And well, I'm, I was thinking the other way. And that you're going up, I'm going down, <laughs> <laughs> as usual. Uh, but I'm thinking transcends human beings uh, in the sense that maybe it is one of those interspecies mm. quality. Okay. I'm, again, not necessarily what I think. But yeah. I'm waiting for you the word you to say the word natural so I can poke you and no, be like, you're no, the naturalist no. <laughs> today. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm thinking maybe it's a, this, maybe it's this thing that, that doesn't necessarily exist mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. But that once it's created, it floats into the space that's not just confined by human beings. There's just something in the ether, so to speak. It's like a, it's like plutonium. Once is in the, it's once is around. It's around for everybody, and, and you can die of radiation poison no matter if you're a rat, a human being, mm. or, unless you're a cockroach. Pretty much, you die. Yes, but you know, I like that image of beauty radiating. Right, yeah, that the, the plutonium, nice. right? Yeah, true. Um, I mean, yeah, and I mean, it, it could be radiating. And to tie that into what we were saying before, it's like, well, what what makes that radiation happen? What is the, what is the locus of the radiation in the experience of the artwork or whatever? And we talked about information and the role that can play and the harm that could play. But what else, what else is that? What, what draws you to a piece of art? So we said that, at least for me, it was something about a mood it puts you in. And I, and I certainly think that's the case with music for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, like it kind of creates a headspace, right? And, you, and then for the time being, you kind of disappear and you're just floating in this headspace and... There's something about that, and, and maybe we could try to explain what that is and, and what else goes into it besides that. Yeah, so and I'm wondering, if, since we're talking about mood, then maybe this, this whole thing, where, where this thing comes from, right, is a unique, um, hyper, how can we say, specialized place, um, that happens to be, it, and it's not, it's not, okay, rewind. <laughs> it's something not permanent. Mm -hmm. So, rewind again. <laughs> Beauty 
I think that so if my best attempt to describe what we're talking about is saying the beauty, which is nothing new coming from my mouth, uh, beauty is not a thing, mm-hmm. but is rather a performance or ha- something that's happening mm-hmm. and is not permanent, is impermanent. And this is what makes it actually one of the things that makes it beautiful. It's impermanent and it's tied not to my personal taste, but to the but to the con- specific condition of each individual in a specific given moment. Hmm. And this is why. So sometimes people think, well, the Mona Lisa, you like it, I don't like it. Therefore, is there's it's not the beauty is not in the Mona Lisa. Right. The beauty is in my eyes that I'm looking at. I think that that's a mistake. And I think specifically that the thing is, beauty is given it exists it comes into existence in a specific moment for me when i'm in front of the mona lisa mm-hmm. and maybe when you experience that you weren't able to ignite that thing it didn't ignite that thing because the day you had a stomach ache or because that day the light was striking the painting yeah it's who's rule to say you didn't have the optimal conditions exactly yes exactly so we need to be in the optimal condition to that thing to be created and come out. Mm-hmm. Um, again, does that mean that? Um, so that means that there needs to be some specific conditions to be met, right, for these things to, to pop up. Uh, but that by and at the same time, that many things can produce that to go beyond the painting or the music or or the person that will also justify why we have different we love different people and we we, mm. we think that people are attractive uh, while you can think of, that a specific person is attractive i think it's not it's not because the person has or doesn't have that quality maybe mm-hmm. uh, even though certain qualities need to be met right of course uh, but he also has to do with the entire you said mood right mm-hmm. the entire situation and the impermanent aspect of it i think is fundamental Nothing, I think we have a hard time considering beautiful things that are never going to change or always going to be here. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a, we don't have that many uh, essays, aesthetics essays on rocks because they are permanent right. or at right, least right, they right. change the rate that's so. And the fact that beauty is fleeting, right? Think again of human beings. Young, beautiful, then you there's the decay eventually you mm-hmm. get all talk about myself. That eventually not that it was ever anything <laughs> before, but it's gotten worse, right? And this is why we have museums. We try to preserve things. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think the stuff about the optimal conditions I'm very much on board with. And I think that ties into that idea I was saying before about you have to adjust your antenna. Yeah. But also you have to adjust the things around the antenna that give the antenna things. Right. So it could be, you know, I make sure I'm not super hungry. I'm not preoccupied with this thing happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not feeling sick. I don't have like finger pain. The light is just the right way. Yeah. So I think these it's the combination of the external and the internal conditions like meeting in this equinox that produces this beautiful happening, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And with with regard to this idea of the, the fleetingness, right, or the transience, I absolutely think that's part of it. Um, and I think that's related to something I was saying 
earlier a little bit about attraction because I think we're attracted to things you want to get back, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to preserve. The idea of museums, I think, was like a good good way to explain it. It's like, because there's something about loss that is at once painful but also beautiful. Mm. And then for this reason, I actually think that there's a tying in between beauty and pain. Mm. I kind of think there's a, I don't want to say a fine line, but I think the, in at least specific instances, they are certainly interwoven because you could say things are sad, like profoundly sad and yet indescribably beautiful. Or so beautiful they hurt, right? It Something like that. Yeah. And I think of, you know, the the American beauty scene, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're, they're watching the bag and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's just so much beauty in the world, I can't take it. Mm-hmm. You know, that or when you think about a, a tragedy unfolding, you're like, this is so deeply oh. gripping, you know? Romeo and Juliet, right? Uh, to, to use one one of those, uh, the, 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 the tragedy, the Greek tragedies mm-hmm. as well. There's something, yeah. No, I, I can see that connection, right? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the if the. But I'm at this point. I'm wondering if beauty at this point is is really tied to this to the fact that things are fleeting, right? That the fear that you can lose these things is what makes it what makes you see how beautiful they are, and if there's, yeah. if those things were not again, if you know, I think. It must have to do also with, you know, um, let's think about, about relationship with your partner, right? Mm-hmm. I think that when bad things happen in, in, a, in a relationship, right, when some people start cheating or things like that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it sounds like almost like cliche, right? Uh, you get used to the fact that this person is always there, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you think that you cannot lose that mm-hmm. and you stop seeing the beauty in that yeah. person. Therefore, you look for something that's fleeting <laughs> by definition, right? And that's when you get in trouble. Yeah, I think so. I mean, another cliche, which is absolutely true, is just you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Yeah. Pave paradise, put up a parking <laughs> It's a true thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's very, very, very interesting that we're landing, in, we're landing to this because then all of a sudden, beauty is this impermanent object. Mm-hmm. Uh, not permanent, easy to lose. Mm-hmm. In existence only under some specific conditions and yet not completely subjective yeah and i mean and i don't know how we justify this but I, no it's definitely tough and i think that there's another way you can talk about this so you might say oh the the goodness of it exists or the value of it exists within the scarcity mm-hmm. kind of how when we did the the existentialism or whatever episode when we were talking about you know, why you value life. Like, it's in mm-hmm. part because it's finitude, right? Yeah. Um, but we're talking about the transience of beauty, but some people would go the opposite direction. They would say, like, and I'm thinking the religious perspective, right, that God and all things God-like are beautiful precisely because... They're permanent. They're permanent, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. And they're this grandiose thing that's never-ending, and it's beautiful in one sense because it's perfect, and also because it's a contrast to what I am, mm-hmm. right? Like, I am finite, therefore I am drawn to the infinite. 
And so there's another idea of attraction, which is this idea that opposites attract, right? The limit wants to go towards the unlimit. And and for all I've said, I agree with the, the transient part. I do think there's something to this as well. Uh, so I will distinguish these two situations, I think. I'll go contra out. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a distinction between what's beautiful and what's sublime. Hmm. And in that case, I think that the the religious uh, vision of beauty, for example, right, it kind of assumes that you could or you can kind of lose yourself completely, kind of disappear into this larger thing that's this beauty that emanates from God, yes. right? yes. So in reality, the thing is, I want to be part of this whole that's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually this happens when you die, right? You you dissolve and you get, in some traditions, you get you become part of this, some religious traditions. Uh, I don't know. I, but I think it's a different experience. I think that's not beauty. That's In that case, you just want to be hmm. the, you want to be within the audience. Uh, not with the object of beauty, but within, within the the beauty itself. You want to become part of the beautiful. And that's permanence is like what gives you this idea that now I am I am with with this thing that's never gonna end. But those things uh, on a quality level, hmm. I think they're different from the things that we call beautiful. That's so interesting. I think they're they're really different. So you don't think that beauty is sublime? No, I definitely, I think that these are two different things. Hmm. Because the experience of the sublime, I think, requires loss. Loss of individuality, it comes, mm-hmm. it, it demands that you dissolve yourself. Yes. Either temporarily, but preferably forever mm-hmm. into this beauty that is this, mm-hmm. this experience. You become the experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes uh, ecstasy is part of that, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not sure. the drug. The <laughs> <laughs> just, just popping e-pills all day. <laughs> uh, but yes, so I think that that is part of, uh, of what you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a different experience than the experience of beauty. This is very interesting to me because we've, I mean, kind of a little bit talked about this in the past, but my take on aesthetic experience is precisely that thing you described so the sublime part which is dissolving into the happening such that there is just a feeling going on Mm -hmm. where like like the conscious self disappears into something that is larger than it and that's the experience and so this is an interesting thing we're revealing is that I, i think for me beauty is an intrinsically sublime thing even in those moments that involve transience and loss and tragedy. Because I think what I would say is something like, in those moments, yes, finitude is showing itself, but it's also showing itself as being imperfect, like Mm. in comparison to the infinite. And so I think of, you know, I I mentioned the American beauty thing. There's this other lesser known quote where, um, you know, the kid's talking about, you know, one time I filmed this homeless person, I don't know if they were dying or something. And, and the girl's like, Oh, that sounds terrible. That's so like, how could you like that? And he's like, no, it was beautiful because for a moment it was, he said some line about 
Like it was like God was looking at me for a moment. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be some relation for me between the finite and the infinite. And I think it has something to do with the fact that like everything is so fragile and you kind of look at the fragility and you look at it with a kind of a combination of feelings I don't even know how to describe, but something like sadness, but something like wistfulness, but something like reverence for something that's greater than everything. And it's very hard to capture um, on the spot like this in a few words, but this this does seem to be a big distinction. And I'm like kind of fascinated. Mm, I understand. For, with this, for beauty not being that. Like that's kind of, I don't understand that. No, uh, well, I think you do. Do I? <laughs> I think you do. I think you do. from Because I... And I think that you are, and maybe not, but I'm not in your head. So no, no, I, uh, I like I like hearing. But I I think that you are conflating two things there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing is the thing that I was calling the sublime, right? Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the day, I'm sure that you're able to look at a person, to look at a woman or a painting, mm -hmm. and recognize its beauty there, without losing yourself in that. It is possible for you to do that, right? I would say that for something like a base level attraction okay. to a person, yes. Okay. For a deeper attraction, maybe not. And for art, I would say not. Because I, I think like I can't imagine. I mean, sure, I can look at a, at a, a, a piece of music and be like, oh, I could think about all the different techniques that went into it. And like, of course that's important. And I could be like, oh, this is beautiful from a, a detached standpoint. But that that seems to be like not experiencing the art. Okay, so the, the point I think that, that you used, uh, the word there is is revealing, right? The experience, the aesthetic experience is the issue. You think mm -hmm. that whenever you enter the aesthetic experience in within into the aesthetic experience, that's when what I call the sublime is happening. Yes. And you're saying that that is the only time where you're really appreciating beauty. That kind of beauty, at least. That kind of beauty. So two routes we can go. One route is there's two different kinds, a quote-unquote higher and a quote-unquote lower. Okay. The other way to go is to say, nope, only the higher one's beauty. The other thing, the base level attraction, like that's something else. Because precisely because you don't get lost in it. But it's so strange that you, out of all people, you are claiming that. Why? Because I feel that you were the one saying that beauty is objective, right? Mm -hmm. And wouldn't that mean that it's there regardless of your experience of it? And without this dissolvement, is still there? So I would say... Because that's just to clarify, yeah. to me, the sublime thing is like only when you're dissolving yourself, mm -hmm. that sub the sublime comes out mm -hmm. otherwise it's not there okay so it seems to me that there are two different things according to, to what we we're saying before and again i know I'm, I'm kind of no 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 but it makes sense it makes i get why that would be a question so the way i look at it is the way i'm thinking about the word objective is in a different way mm -hmm. in line with what we said so i would say something like how can i put this together crudely um it is objective in the sense that the dissolvement is allowed to happen, so to speak, because of some kind of 
you know, universal con- conditions okay. for what it means to be a person, what it means to be a self. And, you know, some of those things maybe are a little bit personal, but some of them are shared, you know, amongst subject as such, human as such, I would say. Mm. So, like, you can't... And I would also say you probably can't get dissolved into something that I would say is, like, not objectively good. Okay. Right? Like, if there's a terrible piece of thing <laughs> playing... So you cannot dissolve into Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but let me... Okay, let me ask you a question then, and maybe we bridge this into the, the other thing that we said we were going to talk about. Okay. According to what you're saying, mm-hmm. is it possible to have any sort of intellectual beauties or mind beauty stuff? Because it seems, and you warned us about this before, saying, you think too much, that thing goes away. And I can see why, right? Because there's also blind thing. It's the opposite. It's like of the that, magic right? disappears. Exactly. But now is it possible? Is string theory really beautiful, right? Mm. Or can ideas be really beautiful? Because you, by definition, things that have to do with the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at least this kind of stuff, right? Theories, ideas, concepts, at least in the Western tradition, they require a presence that's exactly the opposite of what you're describing. Mm-hmm. So... If I understand it clearly, right, is either those things are not beautiful mm-hmm. or we have two different things, really. Yes. And if these two things, two different things are there, maybe we're just using different terminology. Mm. I will call the first that thing, the, the things that you're saying is beautiful, the sublime, and then those things and also some things. I think you can have a relationship with art that's also of the same kind that you can have with concepts and ideas. Yeah. And I wouldn't call it lower. I will call her just just different. Again, that's beauty to me. And then the other thing is the sublime, which I yeah, I have experienced, which you usually experience less. I think I experience beauty every day, probably. Whereas the sublime, you experience less. Rarely. I think so. That part I think is probably true. Yeah, the encounter with it is more rare, and like that's kind of part of why. It's such a big moment. It's fleeting, right? It's, right. Not to say that you can't induce it more or less by submerging yourself in some yeah. set of artworks, more or less. But, of course. Um, I mean, maybe there are a couple of ra- ways around this. You you could say, okay, well, when the scientist says that string theory is beautiful, like they don't, they're just using language it's poorly. A it's, it's a, a metaphor. metaphor. They really mean, oh, this thing is. It, it accomplishes every goal we ever sought. To accomplish a scientist, it's functional. Yeah, to go back to, yeah. So it is. Um, it is so functional. It's like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Like it's a motorcycle running perfectly. You know. And that's beautiful. That's what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. The question is, is that beauty or not? Um, but I do. So if you're asking me, do I think there can be a sense in in which a well put together structure is something to be in awe about? Yes, I do think that because I appreciate craftsmanship and then okay. like besides the sublime experience of artwork, I, I will be like, but if you understand like how this this part fits with this piece and how this fits into the album as a whole and yep. the saga as a whole, like yes, all of that stuff I'm I'm interested in. So maybe these are A, you say two different sides of beauty. Okay. B, you go your route, you say, Nope, it's the sublime. 
and the beautiful. And when you experience that when it's sublime and not beautiful, and when you experience that when it's beautiful and not sublime. Mm. Or the third way is to say, yep, there's the sublime and the beautiful. Some beauty is sublime. Not all beauty is sublime. Okay. Uh, I have another question. Okay. Um, where does philosophy fit? <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, can work of philosophy be beautiful? And have you ex- and or are they sublime? And or are they sublime? Sometimes. I would say the initial thing I'm thinking, there were two lines I'm thinking is, you know, maybe you could just say, Philosophy itself is not beautiful or sublime, but it is the study of the The sublime or the beautiful. Okay. Because I don't get lost (laughs) in philosophy. I have had, though. It's strange that that you have. Yeah, I I mean, in in the way that I'll pick apart something analytically, I get that. Like, right, like I appreciate this structure and I think everything's great and I love thinking about things. And yeah, of course, like it's it's something I have a drive to do, but I've never dissolved into. Is, so it's never happened to you that you're reading, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, first of all, you're like, whoa, this is like really, really, this is beautiful. And has ever happened to you that. All of a sudden, you're looking at the clock, and it's like, what, 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 what do you mean? I've been reading for five hours, and I haven't noticed, and I'm so... And, I, and then all of a sudden, and then, I don't know, even years later, you're talking about something, and this hmm. thing comes out of you. The things that you read comes out of you. It's part of you, literally. has become part of your way. Because if anything, I think that's, that's partially the sublime par excellence right yeah maybe that maybe there's something there because they become i mean there's some pieces of philosophy that have become me and i have become them that's true unconsciously probably right Mm -hmm. and what's more dissolvent than that now that i think about it there have been things that i read where i'm captured by the way something is put Right. Like, for example, if I'm reading and some people would be like, you're crazy if you like this, <laughs> but I'm reading Heidegger. Right. And then he'll have a, a piece called What is a Thing? Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, whoa, when I'm reading this and I do just participate in the mental activity that he's taking me through um, or just reading like what is being. So in that sense, I suppose maybe the answer to your question is yes. And I misunderstood or didn't think about it deeply before answering previously, but maybe what was happening was I was saying that stuff could absorb me, but like that's the content of philosophy rather than philosophy itself. So, and I see what you're saying and, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, start thinking, I'm thinking we're talking about two different things, right? Because you're saying the way they put stuff, right? For example, Famous example, if you read the first meditation from Descartes, right? Mm-hmm. There's a way in which you can kind of follow him into this journey. Yes. Right? And then he's awake, he's asleep, mm-hmm, uh, he's mm-hmm. touching this. And you're, you're with him, you're him. It's like it, uh, uh, that specific piece, right? It's almost like a novel, right? So you are, you become Descartes. You're doing the same things that mm-hmm. he's doing. And I think that's what you're saying. And this is some sort of dissolvement, uh, quasi-dissolvement yes. that you're talking about. yes. What I'm talking about instead is dissolve yourself and recombine yourself eventually with the content of it. Mm-hmm. It's not about, so when I say then these things represent themselves, I'm not necessarily talking about 
quoting, but I'm talking about literally becoming part of the way you think. Being oh, of course. Being I wouldn't be here if that wasn't that, true. That's what I'm saying. And isn't that like the the highest level of dissolvement? You dissolve. Uh, there, there must have been a moment which you dissolve to the smallest particle of your being. Then when recombining yourself and getting out of that, then within those particles, there are those other particles that you cannot shed anymore, that they really become. And it's not just remembering. It's, I'm talking about something. I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I, I do. I'm, I'm not, just thinking. I'm no. not just remembering the quote from Nietzsche or from Husserl, Plato, or Aristotle. It's literally part of your being. It's It, it has become, and this is the the famous transformative experience of mm -hmm. which I talk mm -hmm. all the time when we talk about philosophy. Yeah. Which I think, again, you're doing poor philosophy if that's not happening to you, right? No, I think, I think maybe I was misunderstanding. And in that, isn't that sublime? To me, that is sublime. I think that after I've listened to, I don't know, whatever, whatever music you love the most or the, mm -hmm. the music or the piece of art, whenever those purely aesthetics uh, aesthetical experiences you you are immersed right mm -hmm. most of the time you come out of them enriched right of course mm -hmm. but there are limitations to the amount of particles and the way those things change your life well I think that with philosophy that really changes like on a, in, a, in a way that a song an mm -hmm. album a piece of art cannot change you I think, because that really impact, at least it has impacted, maybe this is why I'm a philosopher and I'm not an artist, right? <laughs> but, but those things have really impacted me in a way. Yeah. And every time my wife or anybody, when we're talking, it would say, how come, you, why, or how do you think this? Well, why do you have this perspective? I'm like, probably the things that I've studied. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it is. But sometimes I have the feeling that I get misunderstood and it's like, I rem it's like I did my homework, so now I have an, uh, an answer for this. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. A, it's just it has become me. Yeah. So, so I like the 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 kind of metaphor you're setting up. This idea of dissolving and then recombining after the dissolvement, because I would say that's true of aesthetic experiences, right? I've talked about that quote, the idea that like, oh, after a good book, you're a different person, yeah. right? I would say the same thing after an album and you really, really internalize Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you're saying for philosophy, it's true. And like, yeah, of course, you know, this is I who I am. I think it's more true, kind of. So I think that's the, that's the next interesting question is to see, you know, if one of them are more or less that, because I'm, I'm sitting here, and I was kind of, I was listening to what you're saying, but I was thinking like, why did I react that way initially? Like, why, when you said, do you do this, did I say no? Mm -hmm. And I think the reason was because the kind of dissolvement associated with the aesthetic experience is non-analytical. Okay. Like you literally kind of turn off to anything. I'm not thinking um, of some particular... Like, I don't know. I'm not actively aware. I think, yeah. But. Whereas when you're studying philosophy, it's exactly the opposite. You are hyper-analytic and hyper-aware. And I think that dissolvement comes in two different forms. I like, was thinking that might be the, the next step for us to go. I think that the aesthetic, the sublime, the mm -hmm. dissolvement in the sublime 
that you get with a piece of art or music and things like that, mm-hmm. it comes from outside in. While the dissolvement that you have with philosophy, it comes from the inside out. And I think that that is why the philosophical one, it is more, how can I say, severe, I would say, mm-hmm. than the, the aesthetic one and by severe I mean that you dissolve to the sm- to smallest particle again if yes. you want yes. to the point that you don't recognize which one is you and which one is not anymore much more than you would do with an aesthetic one because again you have to think of I think about this way as you say you're analytically going through the text right you're reading those things your mind is very much on yep I'm just connecting categories and looking at things yes and when you go to the next level of this and you dissolve yourself into this realm, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you really are not there anymore because this part is completely immersed in that. Hmm. It's like bathing into this other stuff. Mm-hmm. While instead, in the aesthetic experience, you're just suspending this other, the, the mind aspect. Mm-hmm. That actually, for you to have a full aesthetic experience, your mind the analytical part of your mind needs to be removed. Mm-hmm. It cannot be dissolved in there because otherwise right. it will disturb the, the right. whole thing. Yes. So I think that it is more severe and more complete the dissolvement that you had, the intellectual dissolvement that you have hmm. with philosophy. And again, now, once more, I I like those things, so maybe that's why I'm thinking this. No, way. I'm wondering a way we can explain this. And as you are explaining that, I was thinking of Heidegger, um, and he has this idea of, and we'll do phenomenology another time, but this idea of like equipment, mm-hmm. right? Which is a type of thing you use for the sake of something, for the sake of something else, for the sake of something else. And the idea with equipment is that it's a, it's a thing you do, right? Which is an active thing. Mm-hmm. But when you get good at it, you, like it doesn't feel active. You kind of get lost. Yes in the act right like Mm -hmm. so you talk about hammering like you don't think oh at this very moment i will hammer with this force at this and like you just do it and the more you think about it the more you screw up Mm -hmm. um or think about um like if you're a basketball player or a Mm -hmm. guitar player like Mm -hmm. before you're good at it you have to really analytically think about stuff because like okay i have to bend my knees the right way and shoot like driving is the perfect example that yeah driving a car right yeah you get your hyper aware yeah. you're like i have to do this thing with my fingers to mm-hmm. make sure like i could i could change this chord but it seems like you get to a point where after the analysis it no longer becomes like something you have to try really hard for it almost becomes like second second nature mm-hmm. and in that case you right you are just flowing mm-hmm. um and this is it. It seems to be a different thing. Yeah, yeah. But you're not fully dissolved there. Like you're just flowing with it. Yeah. There's like, wow. This is an interesting distinction. Because I think there's now we're distinguishing three things. <laughs> okay. Aesthetic, the aesthetics thing, this f- going with the flow, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the philosophical uh, dissolvement, and all three, all and I think beauty, uh, beauty is in. Neither of those things. I think we have two forms of sublime and one thing that's just... We like draw a concept map. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, flow seems related to philosophy, at least with teaching, 
with teaching is different, right? but it's a that's performative though. I think it's different. It's performative, but is is the act of teaching performance not doing philosophy? Because aren't you like actively thinking through stuff and working it out as you're going? Yes, but I think that's a different. So we're we're talking about something different again. We're mm. talking about an experience rather than kind of figuring out how beauty. Uh, changes the way you are, right? Because mm-hmm. in that case, I think we're doing another job. You're going with the flow. You're doing philosophy, actually, to have other dissolve in that. You mm-hmm. are the you're the book. You're the vessel mm-hmm. for beauty rather than searching for it and being in it. I, and again, I, this, I know it's confusing, but... I don't uh, think it's confusing because of you. <laughs> I, I think it's confusing because of the nature of the thing, because... I mean, how how often do you think about these subtle distinctions or distinctions between things you don't usually line up together? And I'm and I'm wondering what keeps popping in my mind is, well, okay, I think about this in, for philosophy, right? And I can totally see an artist telling me, you know what you're talking about, because the real, and I'm not saying that one is more real than the other. I think mm-hmm. that they are, I think that, again, the dissolvement in philosophy is, more severe and more complete because even the rational part of your mind needs to dissolve while in there you just need to exclude it mm-hmm. but I can definitely see an artist telling me no but the aesthetical kind of dissolvement is the one that really gives you access to sublime just mm-hmm. call the, your philosophical thing something else right? Mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if somebody who studies or is deeply in love with another discipline or something else can claim that they dissolve into that as well can a biologist dissolve in in a biology? Can a string theorist dissolve? Yes. Into yeah. Are those things happening? Hmm. Uh, I can see this for a physicist, for example, right? For the theoretical physics, I can see that for highly theoreticals. Can an engineer dissolve himself into engineering? <laughs> um, can, I, can a computer scientist hmm. dissolve? I think what I'm going to say... Because if that's the case, it's just I'm being partisan. But if if actually there are things that are excluded mm-hmm. from this dissolvement, mm-hmm. then philosophy is a value that engineering doesn't have, which is access to this realm of the sublime. And in this case, this distinction that we're making between beauty and sublime, it's even stronger because... A civil engineer can build a beautiful building, but you cannot dissolve yourself into that act or into that building. Architecture famously is considered, you know, the thing that you cannot actually Mm -hmm. uh, dissolve yourself into because it's everywhere pretty much, right? So there's there's two things that I've been mulling around. Um, So you're placing much more emphasis on philosophy than the aesthetic beauty. When we talk about the sublime, yes. Okay. Not necessarily beauty. Not beauty, but the sublime. Mm -hmm. You're saying philosophy is more sublime. It can give you a a more complete sublime experience than than aesthetics. Okay. So I think what I would say is if I'm going to accept this parallel, I don't think I would give philosophy 
like the quote unquote more complete shoes and be like, okay, this one. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if I would do it with music either. I I think I kind of would just bracket and be like, all right, these are like two sides of who I am. But if anything, I feel like something I always wonder is like, there's kind of these two halves of me, right? Where Mm -hmm. I have the music background Mm -hmm. and the difference between music and philosophy for me is that Yes, they both can come from an element of romanticism, Mm -hmm. but the aesthetic romanticism is like much more primordial. Okay. Whereas the philosophical stuff is at a is like a higher rational level, and and it's kind of like the animal part of you and the human part of you. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I was gonna say um, between this distinction between the beauty and the sublime and philosophy, maybe what I would say to get around this issue is that when you're philosophizing, Mm -hmm. that is flow. And maybe there's something beautiful about that flow. There can be beauty in the flow, yes. Whereas, so I would say there's something beautiful about the flow of philosophizing. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would say the aesthetic experience is experience of the beautiful. Hmm. Okay. Can you have an aesthetic experience of by watching somebody, somebody's teaching? You can certainly have a transformative experience. But can you be a spectator and be like, wow, the way this person is teaching is beautiful? Can you have an aesthetic experience of somebody? By, can, so can we agree that we, you can have an aesthetic experience, and I know we can uh, mm-hmm. When you look at an actor acting in a movie mm-hmm. or a, a theater, right? Yes. That you, and that the actor is going with it's exactly going with the flow, right? Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know is acting for our form of acting is teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's possible to equate. You can watch somebody and be like, "Whoa, yeah." And you, that's I a reason. That, I, th- I think that's that's similar, right? So in that case. Again, we are the vessel, and it can be somebody can be observing us and and see that. But of course, we haven't even scratched the surface of the salt. <laughs> no, yeah, and and now now I'm just in in my head now thinking of this distinction between beautiful versus the beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also another one that we we didn't we didn't touch. Beauty in versus beauty itself. If there is such thing, <laughs> again, is there? I mean, I would say yes. I would say yes, but I know this is, I know, we'll go on forever. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's, to kind of wrap it up here, I think that we have uncovered, as usual, more issues than anything else. <laughs> of course. Um, but I think that's a good guide. Um, I think it's possible to start thinking of the different, way, the different ways in which we actually experience mm-hmm. um, beauty. Again, we distinguish the sublime, we distinguish it from the, the beautiful and then we were talking about this distinction between what's beautiful and beauty in itself um, but I'm also thinking that again how important are those things and how important think, so, think of, a, of a system of values that you might want to build there where beauty is important and when this dissolvement this transformative experience is valued more maybe that informational stuff right mm-hmm uh, that will completely put upside down, uh, upside down our educational system, yes. our lives, and yes. all those things. So, 
if beauty is a value and we discover that beauty is more in some things than others and the experience that you get from some things are different than the experience that you get from other things, mm-hmm. then we have a lot of work to do to figure out which way which we're going to go. Yeah, because if, if beauty suddenly you know, takes the place of something like information in the... Or utility. Or utility in the value hierarchy, then that mm-hmm. alters everything built on each subsequent exactly. layer. And and at the end of the day, the structure winds up looking like totally different. Absolutely. And think of a, I always think about this. If you want to do a, a, a you know, at home, some sort of a, a thought experiment, right? Think of a, build a society based on the fact that the major value is not utility, it's not mm. what useful, but what is beautiful. And take a look at what society will look like. Hmm. From the most basic things, think of which jobs will be paid more to how do we behave we one another? What will we do? What we will we do with, you know, in politics, relationships? Um, where do we spend our resources? Things will change drastically, hmm. I, I suspect. Yeah, and we didn't cover things <laughs> like we so we didn't get into the beautiful soul so to speak of people absolutely not and we didn't even get into the the beauty well a little bit beauties in the eyes of the beholder stuff oh mm-hmm. uh, wait and we didn't talk about the non-sensory stuff well we did talk about the mental stuff but non the, the the beautiful soul stuff yeah no we didn't get into the character well we could have gotten more yeah well uh, it's been I think it's long enough. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll come back to beauty one day. Yeah. See you later, guys. See you around. Bye.